just a couple things that I want to go over with you. Number one, just to let you know, I had a wonderful time of fellowship on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as we went to Mexico. And uh, Thursday, it was an uneventful trip going down, which is wonderful, right? Uh, we did get stopped, and we did have to declare um, all the construction material that we took down. So had to pay that import tax um, as we went down. And, uh, but, you know, that's normal. It's, it's nothing that was out of the ordinary. So we did that. Um, and then uh, the rest of the trip all the way down was good. Uh, as soon as we got there, um, where's Modesto? You already skipped out? Security. So I'm sure he, uh, he's listening to this if he's outside, but I just want to let you guys know, don't tell him, but he's a slave driver. Uh, yeah. From the moment we got there, oh my goodness, grab a shovel, grab a pick, uh, just start digging a hole 24 by 24 by 24 deep. And uh, so that was all for the foundation, the, the, the footings of the columns of the uh, covering that we we're going to put up. And so we did that. They actually got it poured on Thursday. So did that on Thursday. Uh, Saturday, or I mean Thursday, so Friday, yeah, we didn't do anything on Friday. No, no we did plenty on Friday also. So we, we got done with that Friday or uh, Thursday evening. So we worked into the night a little bit and uh, got that done. The next day, the columns went up, and that was an interesting process, but we got the columns up, cement columns with rebar in the middle, and that was Friday. And then on Saturday, uh, the rest went up, everything, the whole thing. Uh, by about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we, um, we went to Casa Esperanza, which is uh, the women's home, and uh, there we were able to have a little fair, pour into the kids and the moms there, uh, and, uh, and, and we were able to minister to them on Saturday. Um, and then we came home on Sunday, but we stopped at uh, Calvary Chapel, Playas de Tijuana, and we had service there with Pastor Ryan. Um, what is it? First Corinthians chapter 7, right? That's what it was, yeah. So we went over that. And so it was a wonderful time. So thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the support. Uh, the team did well. All of us pitched in. Um, the, the first and second nine, uh, night uh, in particular, uh, we did have a bonfire. But I can tell you that all of us, it was very difficult to get out of our chairs and our beds. Because it was like, it was just so much work. Right, Robert? Yeah. At least for me. I don't know. It was, man, that was, but it was good. It was really good. Um, got a lot done. I, um, we had Robert and Mark that did some recording. Um, so, got, did a lot of recording, actually. So, a lot of footage that they picked up. Now, it's now time to put it all together. That's a whole other side of the, that, that type of work. But, anyway, again, thank you for praying. Um, it was, it was truly an amazing trip. And, uh, I, I wish that more people, you know, would, would come out and participate in that because uh, it's truly a blessing. I know you were in good hands. You were here with Pastor Frank as he went over Joshua 24, 15. Uh, I, I sat down and watched the message. Um, today's Wednesday, so Monday I was able to do that. Uh, and, uh, man, what a great message. Great message he, he went through and such encouragement, but uh, also 
uh, convicting, right? And that's how God's word is. So it brings conviction, but um, for, the, for the one who desires to hear from the Lord, that conviction brings about a work of sanctification. As we have consecrated ourselves unto the Lord, we give ourselves to him and we allow him to do that work. And so it builds us up in it. Uh, as we draw closer to him, uh, we see his character and hopefully it reflects more in us. So just a, a wonderful time. Just a quick reminder, this uh, Sunday, we have a night of worship and a week of prayer and fasting. So that kicks off this Sunday, just so you know. So on Saturday, if you're going to start on Sunday, as far as your fasting is concerned, do not eat a big steak, huh, Mark? <laughs> but hey, it worked for him. He, he was confessing. He said, or actually, Robert told on you, huh? Yeah, Robert told on Yeah. What a good friend. He just like throws you right under the bus. Yeah, I know. Uh, who needs enemies when you have friends like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, we joke around a lot. And it was good. We joked around for four days. Anyway, um, but the, the week of prayer and fasting begins this Sunday. And so kind of if, if you can ease into it, uh, eat some vegetables on Saturday and kind of prep yourself for, for Sunday going into this week of prayer and fasting. So that... That's happening uh, beginning this Sunday. Uh, each night we'll, we will have a night of devotion, a little bit of worship, and then go into a time of prayer. So that's what we'll be doing uh, corporately as a church. Um, just a quick reminder also that we have different opportunities to serve. Um, so if you're not serving, I would highly encourage you to, to participate uh, in the, the ministry here, the fellowship, uh, which includes um, giving of yourselves, giving of ourselves, in the work of the ministry. And so whether it be security, children's ministry, cleaning, the cleaning crew, or any, any other area, there's always a need. So uh, you can see myself afterward or someone at uh, the information table on Sunday and, uh, and sign up as there is need. So if you're not already there, please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. As we learned last week, Solomon acted swiftly to remove anyone who was a threat to the throne. We saw that uh, there were several people that he, his father had noted that he was, it was highly, it was not just recommended or suggested, but it was a command that these are the people that he ought to um, make sure that they aren't uh, there to undermine or threaten the very throne uh, of Israel. And so he moved very swiftly to remove anyone who was a threat to the throne and therefore was, of course, a threat to Israel as a whole. And it says, and so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Uh, we need to consider First Chronicles 29.25, though, is that it wasn't Solomon who was the one who established uh, Israel. He's not the one who was the power and the strength behind the nation of Israel. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 25, it says, And the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of all Israel, and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. And tonight we'll see more of how the kingdom was established by God under Solomon's reign by how God was leading Solomon with his divine wisdom as Solomon 
humbled himself before God and asked this very important question. He asked for, requested from the Lord to receive an understanding mind in order to govern God's people that he may be able to discern between good and evil. That's always something important and critical for us as God's people to request from the Lord. Give me discernment. Give me an understanding mind that I may also be able to discern between good and evil. You know, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That reminded me of 2 Peter 1.3, which says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. It's 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the word of truth. And so it is. That, that is the reason why we ought to study the word, becoming students of the word, so we may gain an understanding of the word because it's in the word that we find all the answers, everything that pertains to life and godliness, to bless the Lord, to honor him, to glorify him as long as we have breath in our lungs until we go home to be with him. So tonight, I pray that we would humble ourselves before the Lord. He is our God, and that we would fear him alone, and daily ask that he impart to us, just like Solomon asked, an understanding mind, that we may hear his word, and that we may listen with understanding learning how to apply that word to his glory and to the benefit of self and others. Father, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. And we also ask, Father, that as we read and study your word, that you would speak to us, give us understanding. Help us to clearly hear from you. That it may become wisdom to us, that we may know how to apply it to situations in our lives every day to bless you, to honor you, and to exemplify someone who loves you and is simply responding to the love that you first demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. So we want to commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. And so we begin. uh, Now, This is the assumption, uh, continued assumption of the throne of Israel. And this is Solomon. He he had moved to improve immediately Israel's alliance with Egypt. And he did so by marrying the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Uh, If you think about those days, and even today, it was more common back then uh, to do this type of thing, to have a marriage between two 
houses of royalty between two nations to improve the relationship and build an alliance. It would ensure the mutual protection and growth of both countries. So we know that Solomon moved quickly uh, in in the the direction of of building his, um, his authority and his power as a king. It was a political strategy that was used then and still happens today in many places and for many reasons. Now, one thing to note is that um, this was not Solomon's first marriage. It's, it wasn't his first wife. Rehoboam was his firstborn son from Solomon's first wife before he assumed power. Rehoboam was the son of uh, Naamah, the Ammonitess. And so we know that uh, at the point when... Uh, when Solomon uh, died, when he stepped down from the throne, uh, he had his son, Rehoboam, who was 41, uh, assume the throne. And so he served how many years as the king of Israel? 40. And so you do the math, and you know that he had not only a wife, but he had a son uh, a year before he assumed the throne of Israel. Now, this will be the second. Now, the, the daughter of the Pharaoh will be his second wife of 700 wives and 300 concubines. Just because Solomon had multiple wives and concubines and things went really well for Solomon does not justify his 700 wives and 300 concubines. It doesn't mean that God approved of his actions. In fact, God said in Deuteronomy 17, 17, regarding kings, he said, and he shall not acquire many wives for, for himself, lest his heart turn away. Now, what do you think happened with these 700 wives and these 300 concubines with Solomon? This came about. They managed somehow to do this very thing to Solomon. They were the ones that turned his heart away from the Lord. But we need to also realize that God is sovereign, and he had a work to do through Solomon, and and not even Solomon could thwart that plan. Nor could Solomon cause God to go back on his word in any way, shape, or form. At the same time, Solomon could diminish the magnitude of, of God's blessings and minimize what he was given to steward. Now, God's plans, no one can thwart, but he certainly did diminish the magnitude of God's blessings. Can you imagine the kingdom under Solomon's reign if he had not gone against God's word and taken upon himself 700 wives and 300 concubines? I mean, who's already a, a magnificent king, right? There was no one like him in riches, in glory, in honor, in in authority. There was no one like him before, at that time, and after, as far as the riches were concerned. See, we're always the ones who diminish the magnitude of God's blessings. We're responsible for that. As he desires to give us more when we are found faithful in the present stewardship of what he's entrusted to us. 
we're the ones that hold back the blessings from ourselves. At any rate, Solomon brought his new wife into the city of David, as we read, while his house and the wall around Jerusalem were being built. At the time, there was no tabernacle in Jerusalem. There was the Ark of the Covenant that was there in Jerusalem, as David had brought it there to Jerusalem. But but the, the tabernacle was not found there in Jerusalem. David didn't bring it in for whatever reason. There's a lot of speculation as to the reason why he didn't bring it in. But the fact still remains that it just was not there. But the Ark was. Now, what they did... As far as their worship was concerned, they had these high places throughout the land. And it was in these high places that they were, it was somewhat acceptable to go as long as you didn't mix um, idolatry or the worship of other gods uh, with the worship of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these were places that people would go and worship God. These places were to be void of corruption and compromise. And free from personal interpretation and the introduction of idols to worship along with Yahweh. In John chapter 4 verse 19. There was a conversation between a Samaritan woman and Jesus. And in chapter chapter 4 verse 19 of the gospel of John. says the woman said to him talking to Jesus. She said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Whether here or there or anywhere, God's people must worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth. And so here was this place that Solomon would go to sacrifice. Because again, as we see here, the temple had not been built and the tabernacle was elsewhere. Verse 3, as we continue, says Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Stop there for a moment before we continue. That is that great dream and that question that he asked him that Solomon answered in a wonderful way. But before that, let's take a look at these couple verses here. You know, here we see how Solomon's love was, uh, was being proven And it was being proven not by just his words, but by the acts of his sacrifice. He traveled to Gibeon to sacrifice and to offer to the Lord. And it was in that high place. But this was an extravagant 
sacrifice. It was this offering was beyond anything that you had ever seen in that day. He was sacrificing extravagantly because he had a God and he knew a God that loved extravagantly. His love for us is indescribable. In other words, it's beyond human comprehension and it escapes our description. It's just far beyond what words can even bring to describe, can be brought to describe it. Now, the word only here in transition, going from one to the other, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at high places. Perhaps your translation says, except. And it implies that this was a compromise by Solomon. But again, we need to understand this was before the temple was built. And the tabernacle remained in Gibeon, which was considered a high place to worship and offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so as we see this, even though it's, it's although, except, we need to understand that God is merciful and he, under, he, he saw everything as it was. Now, we're going to see something change here. After uh, Solomon's dream, afterwards, we're going to see how it, how it was that Solomon responded and where he worshipped which is interesting to me, just something that, that uh, I took note of and, uh, and I saw how it was that things shifted. Remember, Solomon is in Gibeon now at this very moment when he received the dream. David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but again, the tabernacle was in Gibeon. Therefore, Solomon would sacrifice in Gibeon until the temple was built. Uh, after the, te- the, the temple was built and after that, all worship was centralized there in Jerusalem. Uh, that was the only place where really everyone could come together and worship the Lord. Now, Solomon's sacrifices were absolutely, as I've said a few times already, extravagant. And it demonstrated a, a sacrifice in proportion. You remember um, the widow as she put two mites into the offering? How was it that was, uh, that was an object lesson? That was by Jesus. He brought the disciples over and said, you know, the others, they gave out of their abundance, what they had left over, what they could give without really feeling it. But she gave everything that she had. You know, Solomon gave what we could never imagine giving. It's not so much the material. It, it's not. It has to do with the heart. If we grumble and complain, if, if we, like, let's say for the offering, we, we, uh, we do the collection, right? We do the offer, the tithes and offerings on, on Sunday. And, and really, God doesn't want us to give begrudgingly. He loves a joyful giver. Uh, someone who... Loves to give. Why? Because you know that as you give, so God uses it uh, to, to build, to work, and to do things with that offering. 
It's the heart of the worshiper that matters. And it's the heart of the worshiper that God is interested in. It was while Solomon was in Gibeon sacrificing to the Lord that God appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And he asked him that question, ask what I shall give you. Can you imagine tonight if God were to come to you in a dream and he would ask that question to you, ask what I shall give you, what would you answer him with? Think about it. What would you, what would, how would you answer him? Actually, God does ask us the same question today. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We have the same question asked of us day in and day out. Ask. Ask what what I shall give you. As we draw closer to the Lord, it's amazing how... As young Christians, we had certain answers. We would answer this in specific ways, right? And, and then as we mature in the Lord, as we, as we grow closer to him, and we understand what God desires, hopefully those answers change to where we're simply asking, your will be done, not mine, but yours be done. Whatever that looks like to, to bring you glory, Lord, I want to be in line with what you desire, What is that? I don't know. But whatever it is, I want to walk in that way. I've often said when we get confronted, when our own will and our own uh, choices, right, they get confronted by the word of the Lord, the one that ought to yield if they are in conflict should be us. We should yield to the authority of the word of God. Why? Because we desire that his will be done in our lives. We desire that he be glorified and not ourselves. So God asked Solomon. I also had to ask the question personally is, why did he ask Solomon that question? Perhaps it was because God didn't know. But I thought he knew all things. He does know all things. We need to ask these questions because as we're asked the question, God already knows. He knows our hearts. He knows the answer before we even give it, right? It's not because God didn't know. It's because God wanted Solomon to state what he desired and remember it personally. You see, his words will testify for him, but his words will also testify Against him. When the Lord wants us to um, to respond to something, do you ever notice that when someone knows that they're in the wrong, 
They just don't want to answer. They don't. I don't. I don't want to say because <laughs> I know as soon as I say it, I'm gonna. I'm gonna basically testify against me, my myself. Right? I'll, I'll be my own worst witness. <laughs> I don't want to take the stand, Lord. No, no, no. Don't make me take the stand. And so it is with our words. They testify for us and they testify against us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And so the Lord asked them, And Solomon will ask, and he will be given. And by this, he will be blessed and also disciplined for gain and for loss. Verse 6, and Solomon said, You have shown great mercy and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, And I've given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, To govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? This, your great people. So Solomon, at at this point, before he even asks a question, he remembers and acknowledges God's love and faithfulness toward his father. I just want to acknowledge. I want to confess. I want to declare your faithfulness, your love toward my father. As he noted his, his father had walked with the Lord in faithfulness, doing all that God wanted him to do. Not because Solomon said, but because God said that he had completed everything that he wanted for David to do. He said that he had walked in righteousness and uprightness of heart toward God. Remember, he was a man after God's own heart. He finished well. The man was not flawless. But he sure did learn how to repent, didn't he? He did. He, he would, he would uh, confess his sin and he would repent. He would turn from that. We see a man who desired to have a relationship which was intimate with the Lord. Oh, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And so Solomon Acknowledged that God had provided David with a son to sit on the throne of Israel. And just as he had promised, he had delivered. Solomon was now sitting on the throne. Solomon took this this position of humility right from the beginning of his response to the Lord. I want to acknowledge your faithfulness, your, 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 your compassion, your Your mercy, I want to acknowledge all these things that you have done for my father. And how it is that I'm sitting here today on the throne because of your faithfulness. 
Because we notice that Solomon did not state that he had done anything to deserve the throne, but he acknowledged the Lord, his God, as having made him king in the place of his father. It was all God's doing. It was all to his glory. No matter what we give ourselves to in the service of God, we ought to think the same way. We ought to acknowledge that it is nothing we have done to deserve where, when, and how we serve the Lord, no matter what it is. But we need to acknowledge that he has placed us in that position to serve at his good pleasure and serve by his grace. And therefore, we ought to serve the Lord humbly and with great joy. Psalm 84.10, I love this says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Just a doorkeeper. Just make me a doorkeeper. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Question that was asked of, uh, there were other people who went with us uh, to Mexico from other churches. And uh, they asked someone <laughs> in, that went, that was a part of refuge, you know, uh, and they asked me, so is he a servant? I was like, well, that's a, that's a pretty forward question, right? To ask of someone else, you know. I asked, well, is he willing to, to clean toilets? Some of you maybe were a part of that conversation or within it. But it was, it was something that... We need to understand that no matter what it is that we're called to do, whether it be to clean a toilet, to sweep, to organize, to put together, to maintain, uh, to run security, or be an usher, or teach in children's ministry, or go out and witness to people on the streets, or go on a mission trip, whatever it is, right? we need to understand that it's nothing that we deserve. It's nothing that we have elevated ourselves to. But to serve the Lord anywhere should be done at his good pleasure. We should understand that it is by his grace. We should serve the Lord humbly and with great joy. Now, with this confession of Solomon and this statement, a declaration of God's faithfulness and his love toward his father, he humbled himself and confessed that his wisdom and understanding to lead as a king was so little that he, that he considered himself a child. A child in, in the way he, he felt like his, his thinking was. Like he was just a, a child without any understanding whatsoever. A child in the way he applied his understanding, his knowledge. And so therefore he was saying, I am in desperate need of your wisdom. Give me an understanding mind. I need that from you, God. He humbled himself before God and sought his help. Again, just a, a posture of humility. 
Keep in mind who he was. He was already on the throne. He was anointed. He was the king of Israel. And yet, this is the manner in which he approached God. I feel like a little child. In comparison to what I need to lead your people, I need your wisdom. I need to have a mind of understanding. You know, false humility would say, as Moses did, I can't do this. I'm not of eloquent speech. Remember when Moses said that? That's how he responded to God. But, but that's, that's false humility. Uh, false humility would say, I can't do this. I'm inadequate. Choose someone else because someone else can do this better than me. Perhaps with this statement, we can even come off as, as if we know better than God by telling him that he was wrong in picking you. You were wrong in picking me. Who am I? I can't do what you're calling me to do. It's way beyond me. And all the while he's saying, exactly. That's why I picked you. Because you on your own cannot do this. True humility before God is saying, I know I can't do this. I know I can't do this without God. And I, therefore, am in desperate need of your help, God. And I will cling to you as you use me, as you will. And you get all the glory. So let's do this. So you have this humble confidence before the Lord, not in yourself, but in his ability to work through you. And so you simply give yourself to him. I don't know, I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but obviously you've entrusted this to me, and so be it. Because I can't do this on my own, I have no skills whatsoever in regards to this. You definitely get even more of the glory. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many of many were of noble birth. So he's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to them. Very encouraging, right? He's telling them, there's, there's nothing special about you. It's, it's a word that we need to hear often. Because we tend to think we're very special at times. And we, we think so much of ourselves that we start to think we're entitled. And, and we ought to like be acknowledged. And we ought to have pats on the backs all the time. And we, we're just... And then Paul is saying this to the, the Corinthians. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so it was Solomon's heart, a heart of humility. Because Solomon knew that he couldn't lead God's people. He says, you, you can't count them for there are so many. And without God's help, there's no way I could do it. And so he asked for one thing, 
Solomon asked for an understanding mind. There's really nothing he could have asked for that was better than this. Not a thing. Proverbs 8, 10, and 11 says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You can have everything in the world, and it doesn't compare with having godly wisdom. Listen, Solomon was not asking for wisdom for his own personal gain. Sometimes we ask for like all this, give me all this knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Why? Because I want it to benefit me. It's for me. I want to I want to be lifted up, you know? I want to rise to that place where that you have for me. I want to get to that place to where I can live my best life now, right? I think there's a title of a book somewhere. Psalm was not asking for this wisdom for his own personal gain. But in order that he may govern God's people faithfully. Being able to discern between good and evil. That was his main concern. I want to I make sure I can discern between good and evil. Many things are going to come to me. I'm going to have many. He knew he was going to have many decisions to make. He wanted to make sure that he could discern between good and evil. And this is given to us by God through his word and as his spirit gives us understanding. And to apply the wisdom God gives us, we must have also along with that courage to ask the right questions. Consider all the facts and make sound decisions. All according to God's word, which, by the way, is his will. You want to know his will? It's not something mystical that you pull out of the air. Read his word and you'll know his will. Get to know his word in context and you'll know his will. But listen to this. We must also, once we, we come to know his will, once we come to be confronted with good and evil, and we make, we're able to discern between the two, we must also have the courage to follow through with godly wisdom, come what may. Make the decision, discern, make the decision, and then follow through. That takes courage. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, you, you, you get to know God's word and then, and then you test it by applying it. You apply it. And what happens is your discernment is exercised in it and it increases in strength. And you begin to see how it is that that discernment is sound because it's according to the will of God. And it just encourages and builds up your own faith. And so Solomon refers to himself as a child in his knowledge and understanding. So therefore, what he's doing is he's submitting himself to the knowledge of God. He's subjecting himself to the knowledge of God. He says, it is, 
beyond what I could ever come to know. So I subject myself to you, O Lord. And Solomon humbly asks for God to give him understanding for the sake of governing God's people well. He wanted to govern well. And Solomon refers to himself also as this, a servant. In my knowledge and understanding, I'm like a child. In Lord, God, I am your servant, even though I'm the king of Israel. But you have placed me there. I'm your servant. As Solomon is governed by God, so Solomon can govern God's people rightly. Pastors and leaders need godly discernment. We need it desperately. We also need the courage to follow through with it, to lead God's people well and faithfully. We need it desperately. And so we give ourselves to the study of God's word. We exercise that discernment and being able to determine between good and evil. And hopefully we are courageous to follow through with the Whatever that decision is, as we are faced with those circumstances. But can I tell you something? It's not just pastors and elders and ministry leaders. God desires that this discernment be exercised by everyone. That we would have that, the ability to discern between good and evil. Each and every one of us, that's what God desires. Verse 10, as we continue, says, it, is, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And verse 15 says, And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Now, as we read that, we understand that God was just as pleased with what Solomon had asked for as he was with what Solomon had not asked for. He didn't, he didn't go from that to, well, let me give you this list of things that I want. He didn't give him a list. He asked for one thing. Give me an understanding mind that I may govern your people. That was it. He didn't ask for his enemies. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for any of that. He just asked for an understanding mind. And not only did God give Solomon a wise and discerning mind, but God also gave Solomon riches and honor, and they would exceed any king that came before him, was presently a king anywhere in the world, and those who would come after him. He would exceed them all. And in addition to that, he says, 
If you, Solomon, would walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And God said this directly to Solomon. God's promise was set, and nothing could change it. It was done. Now we're all familiar with Matthew 6.33. But seek first. Seek first is preeminently and continuously. It's not something that we do like, oh, we'll decide to do this at the first part of the day. No, no, no. It's the first part of everything of every day. Every day. And every day. And every day. And every day. Every moment of every day. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 19, 26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. And I don't know he's referring to salvation. But he's saying, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they said, but who can, and so who can enter the kingdom of heaven, Right? And But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things, all things are possible. The question for you and I is, do you believe this? All things are possible. With God all things are possible. Nothing's impossible. Do we believe that? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Far beyond. Whatever you can think, whatever you can imagine, do you believe that God can like, outdo any of that? The answer should be a resounding, yes, I believe that. And then it should reflect in our own lives. Don't put God in a box. Don't limit a limitless God. Believe that he can, even when you are inclined to believe what limits you limits God, because nothing and no one does. We do tend to do that, though. There's those things that are, there are those things that are perhaps easy, and, you know, we ask God and we expect something, right? It's like he can do that. There's other things that are difficult, and perhaps we're like, eh, you know, we, we pray a little bit more, and I know it's difficult, God, but I believe that you can do it. And then there's those things, perhaps, that are, they seem impossible, and sometimes we don't even bring ourselves to asking God because it's like, ah, oh, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. Really? That's why I asked that question. Do you believe this? Don't limit a limitless God. Well, after this dream, of course, Solomon woke up. Remember I told you he was, you know, at the very beginning of this. Where was Solomon? Where was he sacrificing? Was he in Jerusalem? He was in Gibeon, right? So he woke up. God had given him a mind of understanding, an understanding mind, right? He woke up, and where did he go? Did he continue to worship there in Gibeon and sacrifice in Gibeon? He went back to Jerusalem, right? He stood before the ark is what we read. Stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. 
burnt offerings for sins and peace offerings for fellowship. And then he shared in fellowship, breaking bread with all of the other servants. Remember how he referred to himself. I am your servant. I'm your servant. So he was just breaking bread with fellow servants. He was just serving in a different way. You see, it was a time of celebration. But at this very moment, Solomon was already exhibiting godly wisdom and discernment as he now was worshiping God where God said his presence would dwell and not where it was acceptable to worship by the people or where tradition said he could. He came before the Ark of the Covenant right there and worshiped. Immediately, Solomon had a deeper sense of understanding and awareness. Well, the remainder is uh, we're going to move quickly because this is an example of Solomon's wisdom uh, to close this chapter, verses 16 through 28. Verse 16 says, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day, after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night, because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Uh, Interesting that this was a a case of two prostitutes, and Solomon actually took the time to listen to this case, to hear the case. Right? He was the king of Israel, you know, and, and these two came before him. But so it is, and so we have this case that came before Solomon. And, he, uh, and he, he took the case, he heard him out. And so the one that came with a complaint was saying, my son is a living son. And it was her son that she rolled over and smothered and killed accidentally, but she did kill him. And, and she swapped our babies out. She laid her dead baby at my breast and my baby she took uh, at her breast. And, and so... And the other woman argued, right? She, she completely opposed that. And she denied the fact that this was what had taken place. This woman knew that as she looked at this, this child, this, this is not my child. And so was the argument that was brought before the king. The problem is that there were no other witnesses. It was just them two in the, in the house. So you can imagine it would be very difficult to conclude this matter without the ability to, without the witnesses, other witnesses, and without the ability to conduct a DNA test, right? That would have solved everything. Okay, we'll conduct the DNA test, and then we'll see whose child this actually is. But they didn't have the ability to do that. But listen to this. Solomon actually had something better than than a DNA test. He had godly wisdom. He had godly wisdom. 
Verse 23 says, Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, O my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Hmm. Uh, the king signaled, basically uh, determining this is, a, this is a stalemate. This is, we're going nowhere. Can't really make a determination. So can you imagine to, to his servants, his, uh, he said, bring me a sword. Sword. We'll simply divide the baby in half. The living baby, we'll divide them in half. We'll give half to her and half to her. And yeah, everybody will be happy, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know what he was forcing them to do? Is to make a positional statement. He's forcing them to do that. What say you? I'm going to do this. This is my conclusion. This is what I'm going to do. What do you have to say? Of this right here, what do you have to say? He forced them to make that statement. It was, it was brilliant. Such depth of wisdom he, he expressed in that very moment. Well, the real mother to the child would rather lose her baby for the sake of keeping him alive and told Solomon, you know what? Just give the baby to the other woman. Just keep him alive. Do not kill him. She'd rather lose him for the sake of the life of the child. The fake mother would rather have no one have the baby. She can't have him, I can't have him. Cut him in half, kill him. What do I care? Oh, you just revealed your heart. You just revealed your heart. For because of your own selfishness, your own pride, your own unwillingness to humble yourself. You'd rather all suffer. As King Solomon heard their statements, he also determined who the real mother was and who the fake one was. And he gave the child over to the first woman, and Israel was in awe when they heard how he had judged the matter. Imagine, I mean, this would bring great fear. You think, oh, my goodness, you know. This King Solomon has some great wisdom to judge rightly. You know, Luke, Luke 6.45 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
The mouth speaks. At some point, we say certain things. We could say it under our breath or sarcastically or whatever, but always what's in our heart is what comes out of our mouths. At some point, it just comes out. That's what the Bible tells us, Luke 6, 45. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And that is exactly what happened with these two women. And the fake one, fake mother, the one that was trying to deceive, she spoke. You know, sometimes what God allows actually is good. We can't explain it. In the moment, we don't understand it. But you see, God is working out something that goes far beyond us. It's bigger than us. We think the world revolves around us and we deserve an answer now and we don't understand the strategy. And so, you know, at this very moment, it's not about you. It never was about you. It was all about him and always is about him. What God allows forces what is really in the heart to surface. Have you ever just stood back and allowed something to work, work out? God, you work it out. I, I don't understand how you're working things out here, but I'm just going I'm not, I'm not going to insist on things happening in my timeline and in my way and all that. It's just, you know, I'm going to allow you to work. I'm going to get out of your way. And he allows things to happen to force what is really in the heart to surface. And it reveals the genuine from the false. Oftentimes we don't know. And we don't understand God's ways until the matter is settled. And all confessions of the heart are made. And then we sit back and we, and we can say, Ah, now I see it. Not, we don't always see it. But it sure is awesome when we, when we sit back and, and we see things worked out and we can just say, God, you are truly amazing. Wonderful are your ways. You work that out so well. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you still bring awe to us. Lord, may we have the same heart of humility that Solomon exhibited before you and toward you, his desire being to be faithful to you and to have the ability to govern your people, being able to discern between good and evil, to have that wisdom. Lord, I pray that we too would be those people that humble ourselves, subject ourselves to the authority of your word. And Lord, as we confess these shortcomings to you, I pray that we would not just confess, Lord, but that we would truly, genuinely repent. That means have a a change of heart, a change of mind, Lord, so much so that we change directions. And we learn how to bless you, how to discern between good and evil in our own lives. And learn how to judge circumstances and situations to where we too could
could speak truth to a situation and judge rightly to bless and honor you and encourage others to walk uprightly before you. Help us to be genuine in our faith. Help us, Lord, to be humble before you, not prideful, not willing to bring destruction just because we simply don't want to admit, not undermining, Lord, the work that you have entrusted to us, Lord, but that we would be humble before you and, and Lord, just simply, simply acknowledge you and desire that your will be done, not ours. And so fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead and guide us. May it all be to your glory. Help us, give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray.